Welcome to the Osteo Connection, the number one podcast for osteopaths looking to expand their minds and improve their practice. I'm Kevin Longpray. I'm Jason Turnbull. And I'm Dr. Sean Landry. And if you're new here, welcome. This show is dedicated to bridging the gap between your formal education and real-world practice success. Join us every week where we share our combined 50 years of practice experience, talk tips, strategies, and interview rock stars in the business. Uh, welcome back to the Osteo Connection. Glad to be back as always with my two comrades, Kevin Longpray, Dr. Sean Landry. J-Bone. Thank you for being here. Thank you for having us. Today, we're very fortunate to have a guest on, which I wish was closer to us here than the two that are sitting beside me, <laughs> an ex-colleague of mine from the CCO days in Toronto. We won't talk about how long ago that was. Um, so please welcome Catherine cabral Morata. Thank you for joining us. Thank you guys for having me. I'm excited to be here to talk with you today. Nice. So... Catherine, we usually start off all our kind of interviews with just a little recap. Tell us about yourself, you know, kind of your whole journey, like what got you into, I know, first AT and then afterwards, obviously going into the field of osteopathy. So share with our listeners your path. What, why did you choose healthcare? Why did you make the path or choose the path that you did? Yeah, my journey, has been, uh, it's been an interesting one. So originally, you know, if you had asked me when I was seven years old, what I was going to be when I grew up, I would have told you I was going to be a veterinarian. And, and that really didn't change. I went through high school dead set on the University of Guelph because it was where you went to study veterinary medicine and, and got approved and attended my first month and a half. Uh, and then very quickly, for different reasons, realized that my lifelong dream of becoming a, a doctor of veterinary medicine was probably not going to be what I continued to dream. So uh, my parents were adamant that I was not going to drop out of university. And, uh, and so they said, you know, take a look at the, take a look at the course calendar, find something else you like. And my roommate, interestingly enough, my roommate at the time had come uh, to Guelph with me from high school and I didn't know very many people. So we had both taken that same path, both gone into veterinary medicine, both decided around the same time that we had changed our minds and both had very, uh, persistent Portuguese parents who said, find something else. And so we both took a look and we ended up both being interested in the athletic therapy program. So at that time, Sheridan College and University of Guelph had a merged program and you would do your bachelor of science in human kinetics, which is a four-year degree. And you would do what was at that time, a three-year diploma in uh, sports injury management through Sheridan College. And you combined them and you would do, instead of seven years, you would do the two programs concurrently in five years. So she and I both applied to the program. We both got in, and that was sort of the first uh, change in the trajectory of my career. And so I spent only three years at the University of Guelph, at which time we transferred over to Sheridan College for our last two years. And it was during that time at Sheridan College where I came to um, meet many of our professors who were either practicing as osteopathic practitioners or were in the final aspects of their studies to become OMPs. And we were just blown away, or at least I was blown away by their knowledge and, and their capacity to help people. Um, you know, there are many times where I'd say, well, well, how did you know that? Like, how did you know to do that? And they would say, well, you know, like, what do you mean? How do you know? You just know, like, it's commonplace. You see this, you see this. And it's like, I don't see that. <laughs> and so um, I was really quite 
chagrined because I was not happy about the thought of doing another, at that time was a seven-year program. It was five years part-time, two years of research. I was not happy about embarking on another seven years of post-secondary education. I took, uh, I took a year off and I did some travels through Australia, New Zealand, and then found myself you know, inevitably knowing that I was going to go back as much as I tried to fight it. So I started at the CCO um, at, in 2005 and then, yeah, ended up doing osteopathic practice there, uh, got into my fifth year and was determined to take a year off before starting my two years of research. And then I woke up one day in December and was just in this like panic anxiety attack. And I just had this sense that I had to, I had to finish. Like I was done with post-secondary stuff. I just needed to be finished. So instead of taking a year off and taking two years to do my research, I decided I was going to fast track my research. I was going to start it right away and do it in one year. And, uh, and I did that, um, all at the same time, I had started uh, my massage therapy certificate through the Ontario College of Technology. So I went from really trying to empty my plate to like plate is overflowing. Um, and, and that was kind of how I ended up uh, where we are today. So I'm a registered massage therapist, certified athletic therapist, and uh, osteopathic Mayo practitioner and a strength and conditioning coach. And and practicing in private practice and doing the thing. Right on. Wow. I didn't realize you were at Guelph. My brother and sister both went to Guelph as well. Yeah, go Griffins. Yeah, it's a great campus. To talk great about it. campus. It's changed a, a lot. I won't tell yeah. you what year it was when I attended, uh-huh. um, but it has changed dramatically since that time. And <laughs> so, but still fantastic. Do you stay in residence there? I did. I lived in Mac Hall and I remember being given my assignment and being like, I'm going away to university and I have to live in an all girls residence. This sucks. And then getting there and it was so beautiful. We had this beautiful old building. The ceilings were super tall and it was lovely. Um, And we had a hall across the street. I don't know how familiar you were with it, but there was Mills Hall and all that time Mills Hall was the all boys hall. And so like Mac and Mills, it was a thing. And it was so great because we'd go out and have a wonderful time in everybody else's dormitories. And then we'd come back to our beautiful, smelling, lovely, clean and orderly Mac Hall of all the girls. So it worked out fantastically. I even stayed a second year. Right on. Mm -hmm. I don't remember all the halls. I feel like my brother was in Johnson Hall once. Yes. My sister, I want to say, was there one called South or something like that? Yes. Yeah. South way on the way on the other side. Yeah. That's it. Good memory for all those years. That was very, that's very good memory. Yeah. <laughs> nice. And then how about like postgrad then? So once you finished as an AT, so I did AT as well. Yeah, I very did, familiar story. And, and Kev, right? And then it's funny because Concordia is the same as it sounds like Sheridan. We had a few, I didn't know what osteopathy was. Mm-hmm. Our professors at Concordia were finishing osteo or we're already osteopaths as well. And that's kind of what kind of sparked yeah. our interest as well. That's exactly what you said too, Catherine, the, uh, you know, seeing someone, I, I'll never forget the first time I saw it, you know, and some guy came in with an ankle sprain and he was on his head. I said, why? I don't get it. <laughs> I don't get it. Why are you doing that? Yeah, but more importantly, why did that work? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. I need to know. I need to know why this worked. Like you said, you know, like seeing those links and going, ah, oh, well, I cannot not know this. That's right. You can, it's one of those things you can't unsee it, right? You know, and and it was really uh, an interesting place to be because I had been married um, and 
or was, was getting married. And it was just really an interesting time. Um, because my husband was like, no more school that like that you're good. You, you can do this, go to work. <laughs> and then I decided to start osteopathy and, and he was very supportive of, of that, but always was very curious. Like, how could it be that different to, you already have this manual practice. How could it be that different? And I often turned around and went, I don't know, but this is why I have to do it because it clearly is that different. And, um, you know, yeah, no regrets about any of that. Awesome. So then what's, what happened post to say osteo? So what did your practice life look like? What did you do post-grad? Yeah. So, um, during osteo, I'd started working at a fantastic little multidisciplinary clinic with some wonderful individuals. Um, back at that time, it's called Sports Performance Center. Shout out to Dr. Ian McIntyre, who's, you know, I think one of the greatest practitioners I've ever met. He's a chiropractor. Um, but he was always, he was always very, you know, supportive of what I was doing too. And um, I worked for a long time in multidisciplinary practice, but I was also the year I started osteopathy, I also started doing work with Gymnastics Canada. And so I was traveling a lot and working in the athletic realm. Um, again, primarily as an athletic therapist, but you can't help but let that osteopathy seep through into what you do. And um, I spent a long time while I was studying osteopathy, traveling with the team and doing multidisciplinary practice at the same time. And eventually that became um, difficult in a sense that I'd, I'd done quite a bit of time with Gymnastics Canada and then had um, been given a position or the offer to be high performance director at uh, USA Gymnastics with their trampoline team. And that required me the on the road a ton. So I was practicing part of my days as an athletic therapist, part of my days as an osteopathic practitioner, part of my days as a massage therapist. I was at my own private practice. I was at a multidisciplinary practice and it was just a lot. Like uh, so yeah, yeah, it was, it was full on. And then, you know, constantly in an airport. So I made the decision um, right before the Rio Olympic games to cut it back to my private practice. So you're seeing my my private practice behind me now is and and at some point in my osteopathic studies, I had done some time um, being treated, but also sort of just shadowing an osteopathic practitioner. And she also had a clinic who was that was attached to her home. So I just there was something about that where I thought, you know, I love the ease of that. Like I love if I want to have kids and a family down the road, I love that I can, you know, manage that and navigate it um, that easily. And if I'm running around all the time with different teams and different parts of the world, it seems crazy to be, you know, trying to manage a different practice, just everything's easier if it was here. So for I don't even know how long, uh, since 2007, I think, I've had a practice that's built out of attached to but built separately out of my home. Um, and then when I stopped, uh, stopped doing USA gymnastics in 2018. I had, we, I got pregnant in 2017 and had my daughter in, in October, 2017, and then um, stopped working with USA gymnastics in early 2018. And ever since then, I've just been uh, doing private practice. Um, a little bit of work with sports teams still, but much less than before. But back in soon after I graduated osteopathy in 2011, I, um, felt compelled to learn a little bit more about what happened in the governance um, aspect of osteopathy. Because osteopathy has just always been in this funny place where it's, it's not regulated, it's a smaller practice, uh, specifically in Ontario. 
And so I joined the uh, Ontario Association of Osteopathic Male Practitioners as a board director. And I spent a fair bit of time um, on their education committee. And then I became the chair of their education committee. And I've always obviously been a glutton for learning. Um, and so I would go to a lot of different conferences and loved to go internationally and meet practitioners and, and learn what osteopathy was about internationally and was really blown away when you started speaking to practitioners from the UK, from Australia, from New Zealand, from those countries where osteopathy was regulated or was very close to being regulated, just how different um, things were. And obviously I had plenty of colleagues who were working here in Ontario in regulated professions. Um, and I started to feel really strongly about wanting to have an influence on the direction of where this profession would go here in Canada. And so I uh, started with the board, I think in 2012, and I was with the board until April of last year. So it was a long road for me with them. And I sat in roles, as I said, you know, uh, education committee, chair of the education committee. And then I moved up to being secretary, vice president. And then I served a number of years as the president. Um, huge learning curve, trying to be the president of a non-regulated manual practice uh, during COVID. So that had a lot of life lessons. Um, and I think it sort of, to be quite honest, I think it just completely burnt me out. So I had very little left um, after that experience. And so shortly after COVID, I, uh, I resigned from my seat as president and then, um, and then here we are. Yeah. Hmm. I still do serve on one of their committees as a committee member. Um, cause I, I think it's important to sort of, you know, continue to give back yeah. part of that time as a, as a member of that board, I met an individual, um, who was working for Humber college at the time. And he was very, very interested in what education in, in Canada for osteopathic practitioners looked like. And so we spent a little bit of time consulting with him um, and just saying, you know, hey, this is the state of affairs here now. And here's where we think things could be a lot better. And uh, he was in a position, he was very curious to um, look further into starting an osteopathic program. And he was very driven and he was very uh, inspirational. His name is Dr. Michael O'Leary, and he is now the Dean of the Faculty of Applied Health and Community Studies uh, at Sheridan College. And so that was kind of where everything segued from, you know, I was always very interested in education, but from a being the student perspective, and then sort of running into Michael and doing my work with the OAO started to transition that into, okay, you, you've done enough education, you now have the ability or the, the opportunity to start to influence, you know, education here in Ontario for people who come after you. So here we are. That's, that's very interesting. Thank you for sharing your, your journey. Um, it's, it's really cool to hear just the different, you know, your, your work path, what you've chosen to do, and now your current clinic situation. It's fun. A lot of our listeners are, are graduating or getting into practice, right? So to show the different options available to them and that there are multiple paths to, to their success and really listening to yourself, what you're, what, you know, you yourself was, uh, you were guiding yourself towards these things. So it's fun to see. It's funny you answered our question. We were about to answer. Tell us a bit about the AOA. 
Well, I can tell you about the AOA as well, but I am not a member. <laughs> um, but the OAO, yeah, is a fantastic organization. They have, I, you know, I'd love to be able to tell you that I know the year of its inception, but you'd have to take it back to the old schoolers like Marcy and Carrie and all those, you know, Sam and all those folks who sat around the table, Brad, long time ago um, and decided that it needed to begin. Um, but essentially it comes down to the OAO functions as a non or as a voluntary membership for osteopathic male practitioners here in Ontario. And they are one of a few um, organizations that um, work to their mandate is essentially to propel osteopathic uh, practice in Ontario to a level of excellence. So always uh, moving and striving towards highest gold standards of practice, you know, being visionary leaders in osteopathic healthcare. Hey guys, it's Sean, Kevin, and Jason here from osteomentorship.com. Today, we'd like to tell you about the Masters in Business for Osteopaths. It's an eight-week live interactive online program empowering you with a solid business framework to build your practice fuller and faster with confidence. This live interactive program is a pivotal business training program developed by osteopaths for osteopaths that will challenge you to execute at your highest level. Your MBO bridges the gap between your formal education and real life practice success. Please visit us at osteomentorship.com forward slash MBA. Okay, so that kind of brings us on to where you currently are. So I know that probably a lot of our listeners are now aware that for the first time ever in Ontario, we have a university that's offering a honors bachelor of science for osteopathy, of which you are now have your hat in that ring as well. As you can see, like to be busy. This is the common thread we've heard since 2005, <laughs> I think you said, is how you like to stay busy. Um, so tell us a bit about Sheridan. So how that started for you, how you got involved, what is your role with the faculty and and shed some light on, on that because that's a very recent development for, for osteopathy in Canada. Yeah, I mean, it's a recent development, but it's been many years in the works. And um, so years ago, I I encountered a gentleman, but as I said, by the name of Dr. Michael O'Leary. And at that time, he was with Humber College, and he was exploring the possibility of an osteopathy program. And he um, made some professional moves over to Sheridan College. And you know, we lost touch and the OEO was busy doing its thing and I was busy practicing and, and all of the above. And so um, some years later, he and I reconnected and he said, hey, you know, we're going to actually really consider doing this. And would you like to assist us and, you know, be a subject matter expert? So keeping a, a long story short, um, I worked with Sheridan College on the first phase of the proposal. And and I won't pretend to really understand how it all works, because there's a lot of procedural stuff that happens. Um, but I think the the first phase of that is simply to ensure that, um, you know, the educational institution can, has an idea of what does that program look like? You're proposing this curriculum and this education, and how does that compare to what's out there? Um, is the program even necessary, like compa comparably across what's being delivered now in Ontario, what does that look like? And why why is this going to be better? Um, is there enough jobs for people? If you're going to open up this new program, are there going to be people who want to hire graduates from this program? And how is it um, good for the public? You know, how is this going to benefit people 
um, who are non not going to practice in this profession, but people who are going to benefit from the care of these health uh, providers. And so a lot of work went into creating that proposal. That proposal went in and then it was sort of like dark time and back to our normal life. And then it was time for the next phase of the proposal because that was approved. And that was very much, those phases were very much at the Sheridan College level. I felt like it was like consider, uh, convincing Sheridan College that this was a good idea. Um, and then they agreed it was a good idea. And um, then we went into the next phase and that was now more so about convincing the government that it was a good idea. And so that was a much more um, integrated and, and intricate process, a lot more detail, a lot more, um, you know, I learned a ton about education and pedagogy and just, and governance. Um, and so I helped them with phase two of that. And when I first started working with Sheridan, it was probably back in 2019, I think. Um, and, and it's just sort of been an on and off until then. And when phase two was submitted, it was sort of a waiting game. You know, we'll see, uh, there's a lot that went into creating that document. I can't remember how many hundreds of pages it was, but it was hundreds of pages and that was finally submitted. And, um, the, the government agreed, this is a, a good idea. This is a necessary step. And so a lot of people were excited about seeing this happen. And I think it, I think the excitement stems from, you know, we're also passionate about our profession and we want to ensure that the quality of care is maintained, so that standard of care and the standard of care is maintained by maintaining a standard of education. And so, as I said, this is the first institution, the first college, um, and, and here in Ontario, colleges can offer Bachelor of Science degrees. Um, and so it's the first institution that has oversight. So we had to meet an incredibly rigorous uh, level of criteria in order for this program to qualify. Uh, you know, one of the things as an example um, that can be a struggle specifically in osteopathy is that 50% of the curriculum needs to be delivered by a PhD level educator. And when your terminal degree in osteopathy is not a PhD, that's a hard thing to do. In fact, you're going to be hard pressed to find a uh, osteopathic practitioner with a master's degree, even though that's commonplace in other parts of the world, it's not commonplace here in Ontario. So, you know, even something like that, you're really, you know, that you're being educated in these basic sciences by masters of their profession. Um, people who have had to prove to the academic world that they know what they're talking about and they know the topic that they're speaking to. So that's how we ended up here, right? The, the proposals went well, the program was approved. Um, I started working with a, a really wonderful associate dean named Dr. Miriam Nipor, and I worked with a lovely lady named Elaine Ursel from the Center for Teaching and Learning, and all of these people were a part of um, this whole push, like there was just a ton of people who were a part of the push to getting this uh, to where it is today. But really, it was Michael's Michael's initial idea. But you said so 50% of the faculty, the teaching faculty had to be PhD. 50% of our faculty must have a PhD in the field or related field of what they're teaching. Right. Nice. And I think that just speaks to, again, that oversight, right? You're you don't have, you know, a, a general random person trying to teach, I don't know, hypothetically, an embryology course. So, yeah, it makes sense. Or physiology. Yeah. So and so it's in those basic sciences, 
um, where we're we're having to capitalize on making sure that that's where we have PhDs teaching those courses because obviously they they can't teach the core osteopathic content because most osteopathic practitioners don't have a PhD. So it's balancing act. Indeed. So I, I guess one question, I don't know how much you can go into detail about this, but then some of the stumbling blocks you did, you guys encountered uh, getting this course approved and, and everything else too, how, what differences then would there be uh, for someone attending the Sheridan program versus uh, the private college setting? Is, is, uh, are they fairly similar? Were there things that uh, you guys had to alter to be able to fit that model? Yeah, that's a really good question. I think there are two sides of the coin to this in a sense that um, there are certain aspects. Osteopathy is a science. And so you can't really change a science. You can't own a science. And so those components stayed fairly true to the practice of teaching and educating in osteopathy. Um, but there were other components that that were more associated to academia. Um, and that's where we really started have to change the mold. Uh, so it is the first um, program of its kind, the first degree granting program. I'm gonna be really careful with my words here because it, there's semantics are a lot in this. And um, so it was the first degree granting program in Canada um, to meet the World Health Organization standards for a type one program, which means it's a certain number of hours. It's, you know, 4,000 some odd hours, I think 4,500. Uh, and that includes 1,000 supervised clinical practice hours. And there's a specific definition to what that means as well. So, you know, supervised clinical practice, it can't be time where the students are learning techniques on each other. And that's a big deal because most up until recently, um, in order to study osteopathy, most of the people going into the private career colleges had some kind of designation or, you know, previous experience behind them. I would say um, it has been my subjective analysis over the last, you know, handful of years that what experience those individuals had has changed. So when I and Jason first entered osteopathy, you had a lot of ATs, RMTs, a small sprinkling of physios and chiros, um, and maybe some kinesiologists. And I think as uh, the years have passed, you started to see more yoga instructors and um, people with a different science background. So back in that time, you had people going in who had a, a foundational degree level science background, and then they were studying osteopathy. And that started to change a little bit so that the foundational science background was a little different. And I think that um, definitely had implications because it was, you know, your, your starting point is different. And so your end point is potentially going to be different as well. Um, and that's not a knock to, you know, I'm sure we have fantastic practitioners out there who started out as, as yoga instructors. Um, but it does just simply speak to the, you know, initial level of basic science knowledge that would be different. So this program is full-time uh, versus the other programs are part-time. And um, I think that matters to some people because not everybody can are they, are they mentally prepared to come back to full-time school or do they have the opportunity to come back to full-time school? But it was really important to us that this was a full-time program. And also in order to complete, it's a very intensive program. There's a lot 
on the docket from year one to year four. And so in order to complete all of the um, delivery of all of that material and do it well, uh, it had to be a full-time program. And in order to do that and satisfy the criteria of those supervised clinical practice hours, it had to be a full-time program. So, yeah. So then, I mean, I guess that would make me think like, so how's that, how do you think this is going to change things? So how do you see kind of the, the profession moving forward in Ontario and maybe in Canada at large? Like, how do you see, that's a big change for our profession, right? So can you forecast, can you foreshadow how you see that, you know, I don't want to put you on the spot, but speculating what you think. We'll put a disclaimer on it. And I will say that these are my thoughts and my thoughts alone and not the thoughts of any association or institution that I may be associated to. Um, but what I would say is I think it's a pivotal turning point for osteopathy. Personally, I think that um, where the path we were on before was a very, a path of vulnerability. I think that we were very lucky because people um, recognized the advantages of having this type of care. But I think that as a non-regulated profession only delivered in private career colleges, uh, you know, in the blink of an eye, if something changed, you know, for example, if, in if insurance companies suddenly decided, yeah, you know what, you're non-regulated, we're not going to cover you anymore. If something like that were to change, that could have had massive implications on the profession. And so like anything else, when something becomes popular, um, there's an element of, you know, influx, there's a mass influx of people wanting to be a part of that cool group. And so when you get a massive influx like that, you really need things in place to ensure that the quality of, of what you're getting or what you're creating maintains itself. Um, and so I think that this degree program will change or will help to ensure that the quality of practitioners that we're creating in Ontario specifically, um, that that is not only meets the quality that people are used to and the reason osteopathy became popular, but I would like to think that, uh, you know, and of course I'm biased, but I would like to think that it's going to exceed that even because we've got really unique components to this program, like, um, you know, uh, a course in critical thinking, for example, we've got a course in the philosophy and science of pain. And so we were able to sit down and look at all of the other programs that existed across the world and look at what was the best of each program and then include that in this program and also look at modern medicine. I mean, I think you guys would agree, healthcare, medicine, this is an avenue or, or an industry that is constantly changing. We are always learning something new um, and, and that can have its challenges. But I think when we created this program, we embraced that and we said, okay, you know, osteopathy is fantastic and how can we continue to make it more fantastic and how can we evolve? So I, I do think that it will be instrumental in ensuring some security in the profession. Um, I think that it is... Many people in osteopathy want to see this become a regulated profession, but we have to acknowledge that some people don't. And so, but most of us think that that's probably the better path for this profession. And I think that this particular degree program was an absolute necessity in order to see that happen. Um, and we're perhaps, you know, a long way from that still, not, not necessarily in Quebec, you guys are, are a lot closer. And hopefully when the door opens uh, for you, then it will we'll be able to step up to the doorstep, but um, 
yeah, I think it was, it was inevitable. If we wanted to see the profession continue to um, grow and move forward, and uh, then it was something that we needed to see go uh, take place. So I'd like to say that I think it's going to uh, elevate the quality of care. I'd like to see um, the integration of osteopathy into more of our healthcare avenues. So, you know, the sky's the limit here. Can we see osteopathic practitioners in hospitals? Can we see osteopathic practitioners in long-term care? Um, you know, a lot of different components of uh, healthcare that we don't necessarily exist in at the moment. And I think it's a really great opportunity for um, higher levels of government to acknowledge and or even just learn um, how can osteopathy be a huge part of alleviating the healthcare burden? So we have the opportunity, you know, healthcare is tough, particularly post COVID. And we have people who are waiting for appointments and they're in pain. Yeah. So in the meantime, they can come to osteopathic practitioners and we can help them manage that pain and we can help them manage their situations. We have individuals who can't find doctors. I have patients who don't have primary care physicians and it's not because they don't want one. And, uh, you know, for a lot of those individuals, if something happens and they're debilitated and they can't watch their kids or they can't go to work, that's a big problem. And we as practitioners have the opportunity to help um, and, and be a part of the solution to alleviating some of that burden out, out of our healthcare industry or our, sorry, our, our healthcare situation at the moment. Well, Catherine, I, I have no doubt that uh, that, that would that would happen, especially if there are more individuals like yourself that have that much passion and dedication to this. Uh, so obviously on behalf of all of us, uh, that that's amazing. The work you've put into this, the, the, the time and effort that it takes to see something through like this and to do it in a way that's uh, honoring what osteopathy truly is. This is fantastic. So uh, uh, we'll definitely uh, be pushing behind you for sure. Um, so again, I really appreciate you taking the time today to, to talk to us because I know how busy uh, things can get, especially with little ones as well, um, and a full schedule, I'm sure. Um, One last question. Jason, what yeah. was, was, Jason, was Jason? Oh, yeah. Uh, do you have any dirt? He was super bad influence through school. Like we just, you know, it's just, it was really challenging to study alongside him. I don't know. It's... <laughs> Jason, Jason made sure that we were always thinking ahead of the game you know we'd all think we'd had it and then jason would throw something and we're like oh yeah okay that's... i think that's the other jason <laughs> <laughs> yeah no very very thankful to have been in the, the same realm as mr turnbull here that was funny nice. good well, days we'll cut that out for sure yeah we'll, we'll definitely yeah. <laughs> don't include that you don't want to boost his ego too much uh, awesome well thanks so much uh, Thank you guys for having me. It's been a, a real pleasure to be able to talk about all of this. And um, yeah, it's, I love what you're doing. It's, it's some, certainly something that's needed in our osteopathic community. So spread the word. Awesome. Great. Awesome. They do that. So, Shonner. Thank you for listening to the Osteo Connection. Catherine, thank you for being an amazing guest today. Um, if any of you have any questions or, or comments for Catherine, where can they reach you actually? Can... Yeah, you can reach me two different places. So if there are Sheridan-related questions, you can reach me at catherine.cabral1 at sheridancollege.ca. And if they are non-Sheridan College-related questions, you can reach me at catherine at motionhw.ca.
Awesome. Thank you, Catherine. Um, and we will provide all those links in the show notes about the program and whatnot. Thank you again for having or for being our guest on the show today. We look forward to uh, speaking to all of you next week and uh, have a great week, everyone. Ciao. Thanks, guys. Take care. Thanks for checking out this episode. We hope you learned something or not. And if you haven't already, subscribe here to the Osteo Connection wherever you're listening. And hey, it would mean the world to us if you would rate and review this show on Apple Podcasts. And if you're still listening at this point, thanks, Mom. And if you're offended how much we've made fun of Jason, tune in next week and be sure to share with a friend.